Let me just give you a very uh, quick explanation of, of our Manasseh Ministries. At the crossings, when we moved to this area, I was not, it wasn't long after we moved here that I was doing a uh, small group seminar in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And after doing the, uh, the small group uh, workshop, the preacher there called me and told me, he said, you know, one of the elders is very familiar with that area, and he doesn't think you're going to be able to build a church in Wentzville that's the size of the one that's, that was in Greater Alton. And it was right after we got here. We were running around probably around 550 to 600, maybe 550 at Greater Alton. I'm not sure the exact size. But he said the difference in Alton, you have a broken down group of people that are very aware of their, you know, of their needs. And, and, you know, and, and over here, you have a white collar, upwardly mobile kind of group of people. And so he doubted that we would be able to reach people. And so I got to talk with him that, about that the next time that I came up a little bit. And I explained to him that the way that we would reach this area and some of the same approaches that we had in Alton would work because regardless of where you are, people hurt. If you live in the Alton area, the ladies, when after they've had to fight with their, with their boyfriend and they're, and they're you know, crying, they go out to the dollar store to get the makeup to cover up, you know, the, 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 the tear lines. And, and it's, you know, a buck for, for a package. Over here, the ladies go to a famous bar at that time or they go to the Clinique counter and they spend $100 on their makeup. But whether it's a dollar makeup or whether it's a $100 makeup, all it does is conceal. It doesn't heal. And the guys... Over there may go to some place, you know, some little bar that's down in the, around the circle in Alton and go in and get the cheapest liquor in the, in the world and they go get drunk. Over here, they spend a lot of money getting drunk, but all it does is leave both of them with headaches and doesn't heal anything. That there's a hurt in our culture that only Jesus can heal. And so what we have tried to do is to recognize that. And one of the things I think is important, is, as we've talked, you've heard people talking about, you know, we may have to make sure that we're kingdom focused and it's about Jesus and it's about God. And I think it's important for us to recognize that churches are not supposed to be seeker driven. Seeker driven is the idea that if I'm seeker driven as a church, then I, what I do is I appeal to the needs of people based upon what they say and they dictate both my message and my approach. Jesus was never seeker-driven. He was seeker-sensitive, though. And that he was aware that there were needs that people had that were immediate and felt. And in addressing those immediate and felt needs, he was ultimately trying to address the eternal needs. And so sometimes we've tried to sell the gospel as you need to accept Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and that's all the gospel there is. And if, they won't, if you won't submit to that, which is as unbiblical as Joel Osteen saying, you don't have to submit to the lordship of Jesus and obey the gospel at all. There's a passage of scripture that is in Luke chapter 4, verse 15, where the Bible says this. And it's prophetic. It's out of the book of Isaiah. Verse 17 says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus is saying this because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed 
and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, I have four different messages that are all wrapped up in the gospel, but to the prisoners, there's one message of freedom. To the blind, there's the message of the sight. To the person who has been oppressed or to the, to the poor, there's good news that you can have something. Now, Jesus comes and he says, listen, whenever I proclaim, I have these abilities, and it's all hurting people, if you notice. And he says, I meet them where they are with a gift that they don't fully understand. But if you look, it's like he's saying, man, I've got something for you, and he does. So we started what we now describe as the Manasseh ministries. Manasseh was Joseph's first son. I talked about Joseph today, and so did Rita. And it means you've helped me to forget the suffering, or you helped me to overcome the suffering of my youth. And so we have ministries that are designed to touch the hurts of people where they hurt with the message of Jesus. We deal with something that they know is a need in order to bring them to the awareness of a need that they don't know, and that's of a saving relationship with God. And so our Manasseh ministries over here were originally designed, and still their intent, their specific reason we formed them, was not a ministry to help grow the, the, the discipleship within the church, but it was designed to be an outreach to people in the world. You see, because no matter what's going on, if you're somebody, if you've had an abortion, you can have people out in the world, counselors will tell you, oh, it's nothing, you just need to get over it, it was just flesh, it wasn't alive, it was just a, a decision that's all your own. But for the people, the ladies that struggle with that decision, no matter what the counselor tells them, it doesn't resolve the guilt. The only thing that will resolve the guilt is forgiveness. So we help them know that, listen, you've got this guilt, God can remove that guilt. If you're somebody who's been sexually abused, you can be told a, a billion different things in the world, suppress it, forget it, it's not your fault, but there's only, the, the only way that it can really be dealt with is if you give it to Jesus and he turns your hurts into a halo, he turns, turns the misery into a ministry. So all of those things were very specifically designed to say there are people that are hurting out there and if you tell them you need Jesus, that's true, but why? And if you were to ask the prisoner, why do I need Jesus? And, if, and, and he would just say, because I need freedom. We might go, what do you mean you need freedom? You need Jesus because you need Jesus. But Jesus said in fulfillment of prophecy, I've come to proclaim freedom for you. Now, it may not look exactly what they think it looks like. To those that are poor, what do I need? I need some hope. I need some good news. No, you need Jesus. Well, yes, you need Jesus. But Jesus says, let me tell you, you need good news and I've got it for you. So in all of these ministries, they connect us with people that might not otherwise give a rip about Jesus. But they have something that's gnawing at them, something that's controlling them, something that's, dis that's destroying them that they can't get a handle on. They've tried with their own might, and they don't know that whenever they bring that, what they're going to get is a relationship with Jesus. But we let them know that there's good news. You can overcome sexual abuse. You can overcome rape. You can overcome divorce. You can overcome whatever that might be that's in your past. And you can overcome it in a way that you will become an example for others to look at and go, I can't believe the kind of person you are has experienced the things that you have. But you have. And it gives those hurting people hope. So that's what the Manasseh Ministries. Now, the, the caveat, the, I guess the... the, the the sort of just the serendipitous benefit is that our church gets the benefit from that too. It was designed as an outreach thing, but obviously some people become Christians through the campus ministry. They didn't even know about that. But once they get into the ministry, they go, ah, oh, man, I got forgiveness of my sins, but now I can find strength to overcome my struggles. So it builds the body up, but as ministries, 
There may be some people that will never come to a cross chat. But if they know you've got somebody who's overcome childhood sexual abuse and, it, and they, you go, you know, you've, you've got this good family or you've got this good, and you were abused, all of a sudden they're interested in Jesus because they don't think there's that kind of life to someone who's experienced what they've experienced. So from there, we're just going to let you guys, if you have questions about anything that's going on for, as far as approach or specifics about any of those, Janice leads our Manasseh Ministries. Janice is an incest victor. Not just a survivor, but a victor. Her father started sleeping with her on a regular basis when she was four years old. That continued for years. Uh, that affected her in lots of negative ways. She found Jesus. She found healing. And now she's healing others through what Jesus has done with her. So she's the kind of one that kind of directs that for us. And as uh, became a Christian, learned how to deal with that. And then became, got, got a, a license from the state because she needed a license to tell people what Jesus does, okay, without telling them that it's Jesus, okay? <laughs> So questions, you got, we got some roving mics. If you have a question about any of those ministries or about what goes on, then uh, just ask and uh, somebody up here will answer. May not make sense, but we'll answer. Okay, we've got one right up here. Right up here, okay. Hopper, can you hop? No, don't. Yeah, Reggie, you take care of that. Uh, my, my question is what... Um, training or pre prerequisites do y'all um, require for the teaching of a healing is a choice class as I'm out in Claremore um, with the Rogers State Ministry and we have a healing is a choice going on in Tulsa um, running into some needs of students on campus where um, I see see the need for it um, and and just looking at a means to get that up and going and so thus far like I went through healing is a choice in the in the fall semester um, but as far as that's as far as my experience in the healing ministries goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Explain what it. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So healing is a choice is um, uh, a book by Stephen Arterburn. It's a curriculum that we use. It's ten weeks, and it's basically a very general a general approach biblically to how to handle any hurts and any hangups. And that came about because we started with um, the wounded heart, but then people would come to me and they were like, well, I, I wasn't abused, but I have all these very similar symptoms and problems. And so um, we started with a different curriculum, but that's what that was addressed for. And healing as a choice has really been very beneficial for Manasseh because it, it tends to it's like kind of like a one-on-one on how to biblically heal from something. And those, those hurts that are discussed can be anything from divorce or anger or alcoholism in the family or abuse, you know, and a, a big range. And then it's really been awesome because those leaders then are able to hear those stories, meet one-on-one -on -one with those people and say, here's the next class you can take. You know, here's what you're needing in addition. So I always encourage every, everybody at, this church, I encourage to take healing as a choice because how do you not fit in that category? You know, everybody has hurt. So, um, and it's the Stephen Arterburn curriculum. But the way that we train pretty much all, um, all the Manasseh ministries is you take it for you first and then you get with your small group leader, um, you know, you pray about it. Uh, voice it, you know, speak that dream out loud, be held accountable, and your small group leader, you know, is, 
advises and gives some input and then if and it's not that you have to be perfect I mean we know that but there really is a high standard and you know you can't and I have a whole list I wish I would have brought that I have a whole list of requirements you can't smoke tobacco or use tobacco of any kind no alcohol even socially um, you have to be a Christian at least a year you know so there's some general requirements but really you go to that leader and say hey this is this is what I want to do I've been praying about this I've talked to my small group leader and this is what I want and then you take it again um, of course for yourself but also to kind of observe and be an assistant and listen and and really kind of know that's what I'm gonna do you know and then if that's something that um, you know the Healing's a Choice leader is like, yeah, they, they did great. They were faithful. You know, they made copies for me and, you know, did whatever I needed to do. And, and they worked they worked very hard. The small group leader sees repentance, you know, because if there's no growth for you as a leader, you're not going to lead anybody. So, and then, um, and then honestly, we just kind of check and see, are you coming up here? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so then, you know, Stephen usually comes to me, Stephen and Marcy, and um, we pray about it, and then, and they end up then leading, because the healing is a choice, the way we do it is a, it's a large group for the first hour, and then the second hour they break down into guys and girls, and depending on how many people, it's eight people in a group. So then Stephen will have those, pe those men, those faithful men or women, will help facilitate the small group questions. And I think one of the things, just again, this is conceptually, it's important for you guys to recognize with any of the ministers they talk about, are small groups like Healing's a Choice, Wounded Heart, Anger Management, Comforting Rachel, which is a uh, ministry for ladies who chose abortion. Those are all like emergency rooms that we would view as a church. That's where you go to get, get help. It's like the triage, you're bleeding. How do I stop the bleeding and get some real direction? Your long-term healthcare. You don't go to the emergency room, if you guys know this, you don't go to an emergency room for your long-term healthcare. You go to a regular doctor. Your small group is your regular doctor. That's, that's your doctor's office, people that know you. And so all of those small groups, if somebody who is a Christian is, is doing healing of choice, the ultimate goal is for them to get honest during that, to deal very specifically with some things, but they're not going to overcome 13 years of struggle in 13 weeks. But if they go back and they incorporate that openness and that honesty within their small group, they'll overcome. For the people that are non-Christians, it gives us the reality of, listen, this is great, they're going, this is great, but we're just up front. You're not going to make it unless you have support after this. So it's time for, you know, it gives a chance for a Bible study to see what it means to be in a personal relationship with God and connect them with a small group. So those are the emergency rooms where people come into but we have a long-term health care through their small group where those needs and those weaknesses are known. And so one, I think one of the prerequisites as far as for any small group leader in those ministries is you have to be messed up personally and you have to be honest about, how, about, about that and, and what God, because you can't be speaking for a position of superiority and arrogance or you don't help those people that are hurting. So in all of those, that's, yeah, that's, that's essential. That's, I mean, when Robert and Carrie asked me to do this, that is the one thing that I did want to speak to just real quick is just ministering from weakness. And it, it's, it's really, I mean, we know that, sorry, I'm so loud. Usually I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> really? That sounds so loud to me. But, um, and we know that we, you know, we hear that and, you know, we know the verse in Corinthians where Paul says, I boast about my weakness, you know, and 
that power of Christ, you know, be beyond me. But really, when it comes down to it, we that's not what we want to do. We want to, um, we do want to get better. We do want to, you know, heal. But we want to do it from an area of now I'm on the other side of it and I have it all together. So let me show you people down there how to do it. And that's one of the things that I, you know, and I think anybody that's a Manasseh ministry leader know we have quarterly meetings that is not allowed. Like you have to be very authentic and you have to minister from weakness. Now you're growing. If you're not growing, right, it's confronted. But you have to be a person who's honest for your weakness, but also grateful for your weakness, which that is a tough step to take. Um, You know, and Robert has said that a long time. He's like, Jay, one of these days you're going to be grateful, you know, for the abuse. And I'm like, you are cray. Like, it just never, I would be like, whatever, Robert. Like, and yeah, exactly. So I just was like, "Mm mm-hmm, you know, that's what a preacher says, you know. So, but the truth is I have learned to be grateful for that weakness. It's, it's a double-edged sword, of course. Um, and then also you have to be willing to share openly and honest and heal yourself, but that's how other people are going to heal. So in all the groups, whether whoever it is, like I know Tanya leads one, like she goes through that process every time she leads it. Because there's always something. And every time I lead a group, I deal with my sexual abuse every single time. Now, are we at different places on our journey? Absolutely. But I let everybody know this is the journey we're on together. I, I will not allow a missionary mindset. Do you guys know what I mean by that? I'm, you know, I'm up here and I'm godly and I'm reaching down to these poor, affected, lost souls and I'm going to lift them up. Nope. It's, it's right here. We're in this together. And that's really important to me because I want them to have the hope that I have that they can make a difference and that there's, there's no, if, and if I'm honest, that's ridiculous. I'm not above anyone. And these are lifetime struggles, these ministries are. I mean, they affect the core of who we are. So it, you have to be honest, you have to be grateful, and you have to really share openly because having these kind of Christ-like ministries means that people are going to be healed from your wounds, not from your victories as much. You know what I mean? Like, they need to see the victories, um, but it's the wounds that draw them in. Sort of a follow-up question, but as you're going through the process of doing the one-on-one, first of all, is there a time when you've been a hurt while trying to do that, while going through the process, and if, or, or frustrated, and how do you, uh, when you're trying to help somebody, what are some creative ways that you, you deal with that process where you're walking that road with them, but at the same time... Not like betrayal, like by the people well, in your group? No, I, I guess in the process of, of trying to be open and make a connection with someone and help them heal or go through the healing as choice process, um, as they struggle, they can maybe hurt you, right? So, uh, I mean, because they're dealing with it. They're, they're, it's coming out of them. It's spewing out of them. They don't know what's going on. <laughs> and they can, you can have, be kind of ricochet and get hurt by it. Are there any creative ways to respond to that or ways that you found that 
that are more useful and productive. <laughs> um, I think that might, because oftentimes I, you know, I know a lot of that information is confidential that goes on between people, but um, there are people that really, they don't know how to deal sometimes with what comes back up in the process of going through this process. So I was just wondering if there's a way, or if there's any creative mindset that can be, does that make any sense? That's kind of well, I was looking for Nico to see if he was, Nico wanted to hit me, like physically punch me several times. And you're going to have people that are upset uh, when they're opening up about this layers coming off, tearing off, wounds tearing, and, and it hurts. And you're still going through it also. So hurt with them, in a sense. Um, recognize that it hurts. Recognize that it's going to hurt. But you're not alone. So you're working with them and you're letting, letting them know you're with them, but you're not alone. I've got Janice, I've got that whole Manasseh ministry, I've got my, uh, my zone leaders, I've got my guys and my group. We have support, but we have to be going to support, we have to be looking to see how we can support each other. But yeah, it's gonna be um, tough, you're gonna run into things. When I start the group, I let people know it's tough. And um, you start it, and a lot of people do it two or three times. They want to do it more. Uh, you've got to hold off. You've got to use the tools you get. But, yeah, look for support. Uh, make sure that there is support. This doesn't work without them going to a group and talking about it more and uh, sharing with more people. And I think also recognizing, as especially we're talking about leadership here in that group, is that you really have to, a pure motive helps you be able to persist. If I'm doing this for Jesus and them, right. then, I'm, then my being hurt doesn't become so central. So a lot of times in ministries, ministries leadership is a lot like preaching. It's a ripe ground for impure motives. I mean, it's just, it just can flood impure motives because of what you get out of it. You get to look like the expert. You get to look like the one that was healed. And so I think you have to just go in knowing this. This is about Jesus and them, and I'm going to get hurt. If I'm doing something for Jesus and I want to be like Jesus, then I can pretty, pretty well expect that if it was through his wounds that I'm healed, then that I'm gonna, it's going to take me being wounded sometimes. And you, and you know hurt people hurt people. We say that all the time. But hopefully those who have been healed, healed people, heal people, so we can go, okay, this is not... You know, this is just them acting sinfully because of obviously their choice, but also, man, who can't understand when you begin to, you know, some of the frustration, the anger, and the, I mean, you can, I can, there's certain questions in, in, in Wounded Heart that I can even think about and going, I don't even want to, oh, it's so embarrassing, it's so, and if you don't know how to process embarrassment for men, it comes out as anger. Yeah. So you just have to go, are you going to be hurt? You better believe you are. Yeah. If you don't want to be hurt, don't get in the ministry, yeah. you know. It's a great opportunity to set the example of how to be more like Christ. Because it's easy to be like Christ when you're not being hurt. But when you're hurt, that's gold. It's gold. You're like, aha, let me show you. Because you are literally stabbing me, and I'm going to show you how to respond. And they do not know how to. And so, and that's something we talk a lot about in our support meetings with the leaders because that that comes up a lot and I mean the first thing I teach them is you validate their hurt 
it's not about you, and it's, you need to glorify in it. Because you're like, this is going to show them be better. You know, it's, I can tell them all day long, but let them attack me because now I can show them how to handle it. I actually set up a Bible study one time. I, a girl I worked with, I, I invited her to church. I mean, just so you know those people you really like at work and you just really get a heart for. And I invited her all the time. And I spent time with her and I became her friend and fell in love with her daughter and, you know, and uh, she just, no, 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 and every, tried everything, invited her to everything, you know, some non-church stuff, some church stuff. And she really liked me, but it wasn't until I gossiped about her at work. This is a true story. And I didn't mean to, you know, I wasn't like I had this heart that I'm going to go tear her down. But she had told me something in confidence, and I repeated it. And she found out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm busted. So I went in there, and she wouldn't even talk to me for like three days. I mean, flat out, wouldn't talk to me. And so finally, I worked down, and I told her, I just want to confess. I just want to say I'm sorry. And so I did. And I was humiliated and humbled and was very upset at myself because, you know what I'm thinking, gosh, I've been reaching out to this girl, and then I just blow it, just blow my example. And so I talked to her. Of course, I took full accountability, apologized, asked, you know, that one day she'd be able to forgive me, you know, and, and made no excuses at all. And she didn't say nothing to me, and I left. A week later, she come in and said, all right, I'll study the Bible with you. And I was just like, oh, we're talking again. And she said, I'll study the Bible. And I said, can I ask why? I mean, I know you're upset with me. She goes, because I let you have it. And anybody else would have gone off on me. And you just, you just stood there and took it. And I'll study the Bible with you. And I studied with her, and she was baptized. So, I mean, and I tried everything, but it wasn't until I blew it. <laughs> so. I also want to talk about there are stages to groups. There are stages to groups that are natural and are going to happen. And so, you know, you go through that honeymoon period, everybody's excited about change, and then it's going to get rocky. You know what I mean? It's, it, they call it the forming, then the storming part of it. And that's just human nature. People start to let those walls down. And so you need to expect it. Um, and then, you know, and you validate that and you kind of normalize that process for them and let them know it's okay to feel this way, but at the same time, they're not going to stay there and that you also need to set boundaries. Because sometimes people will attack you and it's okay to say, hey, you know, this isn't about me, remember? So I'm here to help you. I, that's okay. It's not like I want you guys to, you know, just lay there and be a mat because they're looking for that loving balance. Do you know what I mean? They're looking for in a way, a parental role. You know, they're looking for that love and that care, but they're also looking for somebody to stand up to them sometimes and be like, enough. I, this is enough. But not from, you can't hurt me anymore, but you have to stop. This isn't good for you. This isn't good for your relationships. So, you know, you have, it is, it's a hard balance to be vulnerable but set boundaries. You know, you gotta kinda say yes and no 
at the right at the right places. And but you'll go through that. Every group goes through that. Um, Janice, can you kind of describe the group dynamic that goes on and why it's beneficial to be in a group versus like take the book and go off to an island by yourself? Why that's so successful? Um, yeah, I think, I think the heart of all these ministries is shame and contempt. Um, the shame and contempt is the heart of Wounded Heart, and honestly, shame and contempt is the heart of all the ministries. The reason people don't heal is they get into a cycle of shame and contempt. And what shame and contempt is, is shame is that feeling of there's something deeply broken about me, and I have to hide it from the world, or I'm going to be rejected and abandoned. So then the contempt is the act of hiding. And we, we either attack others and hide, or we attack ourselves and hide. And so the group, what that does is it really hits, it just hits that shame and contempt because you are asked to be vulnerable and open up to people. And it's almost like we test people. We give them just a little bit of our story and wait for them to either freak out, look at us differently, you know, hurt us, abandon us. And then when that doesn't happen, we kind of give them a little bit more and we kind of give them a little bit more. And then, you know, we even attack them, you know, and project on them our hurt. And you see, that's just normal human behavior. So within the group, what happens is they get to see Christ at work. They get to see that they're not abandoned, that they can slowly open up and, and tell their ugliest things. And all the leaders have to go first. So one of the questions in chapter five is, what is your most shameful secret? What don't you want others to know about you? Well, oh my gosh, I mean, I have a list. I have my original book and I started with this one. I'm like, and then this one, then this one, then this one. And I reveal those to people and it's still painful. It's still embarrassing, but they, they see, you know, that, I mean, they don't abandon me in that. Do you understand? So when they start to then open up and I don't abandon them, they'll even say things like, well, are you going to leave now? Should I not come back? And I'm like, did you leave me? And they're like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, why not? I'm kind of, I'm weird. I'm a freak. I did a lot of bad things. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, see, in the group, the really, honestly, the more studies that they do psychologically, and I know everybody says, be you, do you, blah, blah. You guys, we define ourselves by the people in our life. That's been proven over and over again. So... Yeah, and in that one of the funny things is I forget who it was when they say that question, and that's the one I was talking about earlier. What's that most shameful thing? And they go, "Would you remember?" And for me, and for almost every person that's been abused sexually, there's one moment that you just that you that's, that you cringe, and that no matter how often you repeat it, yeah. it embarrasses you, and it makes you have this sense of wanting to hide and hating yourself. Uh, but in that group, what you see is, especially because of God's healing work in our lives, they get to see somebody who they go, you're way different than me, but yet you had the same thing happen. So we become the hope to the hopeless because of what God's done in our lives. And it really is a kind of, it's, it's a fellowship of the flawed, which is what the church is anyway. 
You know, I always say in the way our Sunday mornings for us, we're the fellowship of the fine. How you doing? I'm fine. No, you're really not fine. You're a liar. Here's the truth. It, but in, but in, in, in our wounded heart, it's the fellowship of the flawed. They know that. But the flaw, the, the one that's most revealing of their flaws is the one that's leading the group that they most admire, which is really weird. And you think that's, you know, we always want to project an image. We're just projecting the truth of what has happened to us, but what God has done. And so in that dynamic of doing it together, you have the visual and spoken and emotional support of people who understand and you can't deny that. Oh, you just don't understand. Want to bet? <laughs> right. You can't, you can't use that excuse that you back every, you just don't know. Really? I don't. You want to talk? Want my, and it's, and it's, it's a horribly embarrassing, wonderful, awesome thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, um, going along with that thought, uh, you talk about taking the wounded heart book that deals with childhood sexual abuse and going off by yourself. Um, you would get something out of that, but, uh, cause it's, it's good material. Uh, but I think one of the greatest healing aspects uh, for people who go through that is the normalization of the struggle. Because uh, I know when I sat and talked about all the stuff that happened to me and talked about the most shameful thing I've done, uh, I think one of the most healing things for me was being in a room full of people who weren't shocked by that stuff and who were like, yeah, me too. And uh, for the first time in my life as a like I was 35 when I went through that first time, uh, or 34, um, I felt normal. When my entire life, I had never felt normal, even though I pretended like I did. Um, and had never even, like, I don't even think if you'd have asked me, I would have been able to tell you that that is what was going on inside of me. Uh, but that was one of the most healing aspects of going through that material, not teaching that material, uh, and continuing to be taught by that material as I'm walking other people through it because I learn something new every time. Um, it, if I weren't doing that with other people, I wouldn't have gotten the benefit of, of uh, just... And I, isn't that how God works, though? Like, he works in community. He doesn't want us to do this stuff on our own. He doesn't even want this stuff to be us and him. He wants it to be him and us in terms of... Like, Plural, not just singular. You know what I mean? And Satan's the opposite. He wants to isolate us. And you guys know that. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. And so it's like Wes said, I, it's not that I'm like, no, don't read the book by yourself. But I tell people, yeah, you read it, but then take the group. You, you need to take it. And, and I just think that Satan wants you to fall for that lie. He's like, no, 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 no. You just, you just isolate. You figure it out yourself. And it's such a lie. It, it, takes, it takes all that power away. I mean, it's, you're just being independent again. You, you know what I'm saying? And I just think that's why it's so important as leaders to not pretend like you have it all together. Be, to show, I, don't, I need people too. Do you think I just read this book in my room by myself? No. So you, you have to set that example. And you know, if you act like you have it all together, you solved it by yourself. How does that give glory to God at all? It gives glory to you. And it, and that's not, people can get that in the world. Do you know, they go to the world and they hear, be independent, you know, figure it out, whatever, you know, whatever little self-help thing you can do. I mean, there's huge sections called self-help. 
it, if it worked, it, people would be getting better. So don't fall for that. Don't fall for that lie. And the other lie is, well, I've, I've dealt with it. I, I always jokingly say I want to cross-stitch that on a pillow in my office and just be like, you mean this? Because that's what people say all the time, you know, and because I do. I want them to realize that is said to me every five minutes of my life working with people. So don't steal that glory from God. And, when, and again, let me remind you, and Steve, some of you, have, some of you have, got, have got issues like this you've never dealt with. And it, you may be going, oh, I need help, but, but let me assure you also, there's incredible blessing from dealing with this. Yes. You know, whenever I look at people I, in, in the church and the places, I, every week I get a look at people who are broken and would be falling apart that God has put together and families are together. Little kids that would have had no parent or an abusive parent have a parent that's godly and coming together. And if you will take some some initiative and go god i'm going to bring you my hurts and be honest with him man right now you invite somebody to church you come to church with me why what do you tell them well we got this great thing you you say i need jesus and that comes across as so cliche that they don't even but if you say yeah man it, you know if you know that they mention about it being abused you go why don't you come to church with me because we've got some people that were that man they were abused as kids and they're great people for your close friends you have a, a, a friend who's had an abortion they're going they're crying Come to church with me. Why? Well, for the condemnation that you get at churches about abortion. No, we've got some incredible ladies that lead a ministry that that, that know what every one of those ministries is led by somebody who understands. There's incredible hope through your weakness if you will deal with it. There's a think about how many people divorce care we have come. Hey, why don't you come to church? Divorce people have typically, you know, they've the, the scarlet A, you know, they, they're the adulterers, stay away. We've got people who have overcome and God's using it. All of a sudden, it goes from a nebulous, you need Jesus, to where it comes to very specific what Jesus can do. And that that is not tainting the gospel it is imitating the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And just wonder, this is not just, it's important for us to be healed, but CMU and our church is not just about making the body better, it's about bringing people into the body. So all of these things, don't think just in terms of your personal healing, although that's the first thing that has to go on, but understand the incredible ministry that God can give to you that maybe you would have thought, I don't, I'm no good for anything, which is thoughts that I had felt much of my life. But he's done some, God's done some cool things. And he wants to do them with you also. And it doesn't take great skills and talents. It takes you allowing God to work in the areas that you've been wounded in. I was just going to speak to the question, do it as a group because you get the accountability, number one. Because I could, when I took the game plan, uh, men dealing with pornography, if I was just doing the book alone, would I really do the progress? Would I really give things over to other guys in my group would i really so being in a group you have the accountability but you also have the opportunity to be brave enough to share your story anytime you share something and other people are sharing you feel more comfortable and then you can share more because when like especially healing's a choice you go to that class because you're going to deal with one thing or because people are making you go and you feel like I don't really need to be in this class, but let's see what it has to offer. Well, you go and you discover something. And then you discover more things. 
And, 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 I, and I think just a little cliche that we use is hidden wounds don't heal. Yeah. Uh, they really don't. You know, you cover up, it doesn't heal. It may be out of sight, but it's still affecting you. So that group brings it into the light. And, and the creates, light has healing power. And it power. creates vulnerability, which is lacking in our churches. There's lots of friendliness in churches of Christ, but people are not vulnerable. And, and how do we form relationships and fellowship and brother and sisterhood? It's through being vulnerable. The people that I'm closest to, they know me. And, and then also, Robert talked about that blessing. The blessing is I have the, I don't even know how I have the self-esteem I have. I don't understand how I have it. It, in the worldly sense. I shouldn't. Do you understand? But it's through God and vulnerability. And honestly, the fact that people here know me and they like me anyway. Then I used to believe that lie. Yeah, but you may like me, but if you knew this one thing, you wouldn't like me. I can't even say that anymore. I'm like, people are like, Jay, we, we don't want to know anymore. It's fine. You know, and I'm like, okay. You know, but it's just, but there is this sense of security I get because people know me. They know me and they like me. They don't just love me. Do you know the difference? They don't just serve me. These people like me. They choose to be around me. And I, I, ne and I was a very popular person. I just have one of those personalities. Of course, I grew up in an abusive home. And so my life, my family became outside my house. You guys understand that. My family was terrible. But school, I was good at school. I was good at people. And so I was really popular. And I had so many friends. And I was the loneliest, most brokenhearted person. Because they didn't know me. And I, want, and I wanted them to like me, but you guys understand they didn't like me. They liked what they thought was me. And when I came here, it, I, it was different. When I heard Robert say, yeah, I was abused by my great-grandfather, I, I had a panic attack. I really did, right there. And I felt foolish and ridiculous, but that was the beginning. And that was, the, and, and I wasn't shunned. And then as I really opened up, I thought, wow, it's good to be really loved and liked for who you really are. And that's what the world needs. They spend their life exhausted trying to figure out the right thing to say and the right thing to wear and the right amount of money and the right car to drive. And they really just want you to like them for who they are. But they won't tell you who they are. So when you put yourself out there and, and you give them permission to be messed up, it just draws people in. And it gives me the confidence to invite people. And a lot of people that I talk to, they're not abused, but I'm healed so I can talk to people about God. Does that make, you know what I'm saying? I have the confidence to say, God is awesome. He really is. And quite frankly, people that have totally discounted God because they've never saw the application to something that meant something to them. They've never saw God meet a need. 
And again, we are not a seeker-driven church, they don't di- but we are aware. We want to be very sensitive to the hurts that Satan has inflicted. And this isn't just for Janice. One of the things that, that how many of, for our college students that are here, how many of you at, at the crossings have been through one of the Manasseh, stand up if you've been through one of the Manasseh ministry groups, either healing is a choice, wounded heart. Adults too, uh, please. Adults, adults too, stand up also. Wounded heart, uh, the game plan, sexual addiction. Uh, what is the other? Um, comforting racial. Okay, you look around. If you guys, divorce care, you know, and, and probably if we were on a regular Sunday, if it were just our members, it'd be a higher percentage than this. So if you look around, then, then what you'd see is one of the things you guys can set down, thank you. In most churches in, in America, one in four girls are sexually abused before the time they are 18 years old. It's a little higher than that even now. At the crossings, and I, don't, I can't speak of this with statistical you know, certainty, but I know when we were at, at the church that we started the ministries at, we were almost a one in two ratio. One in seven men are sexually abused by the time they're 18. We were more like a one in five. And you go, well, why is that? Because they're finding help. The church now becomes the healing entity for the nations. And so think about the pool of people that have no interest for God, but all of a sudden they understand that God, one in four girls sexually abused, one in seven men abused, one in 10 people who take the first drink become the alcoholic, one in three people we touch by alcoholism, one in so many, and I don't know the statistics of girls that have an abortion by the time they're 30 years old. And when you go through these one-on-one things, and before long, what you begin to understand is we're all messed up. If you find a person who's normal, take a picture, okay? Because they're rare. It may be valuable someday. Freaks. But all of a sudden, what they can't find out there, they can't find in healing through Jesus. And not through a cheap, you can feel better, but through a deep, surrendered, personal relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. And he won't be their Savior. He can't save them if unless they'll let him control them. You'll never overcome your sexual abuse if all you're wanting is saved. But if you understand that Jesus wants to be your Lord and you'll listen to him, he will do things that will amaze you. The same thing's true with resentment from divorce. The same thing's true with the scars from abortion. The same thing's true with the pornography that goes on. So we're not talking about a soft sell in order to get people in the building. We're talking about the hardest sell that's, that sale that's there. But they buy into it because the pain is so great. And they appreciate Jesus for it. And to the group lends to the trust and help it, that trust that is necessary to make Jesus Lord and Savior. So many people have all these trust issues. They can't trust people. They can't, I mean, how do you make somebody your Lord? There has to be complete, utter trust and surrender. And those groups help facilitate that and the leaders model that. It took so much trust in God. And it was not trust in Robert when he asked me to do this. I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. And I told him no. And you guys know Robert, his little bubble just popped. Like he was just like, what? No. And he had all these dreams all planned out. I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like it was just a no. And so he did say those. I know what she meant. Here's she may yes <laughs> so anyway what he did say though was those magic words will you pray about it and i was like oh you know what am I, no i'm not gonna pray you know and i'm like <laughs> so i did i was like oh so i was like all right but i know god's gonna tell me no <laughs> so i think i said will you pray or are you gonna choose to be totally ungodly <laughs> that's probably I it i really didn't say that i, I mean, don't know i knew she would get that part of it <laughs> well and i did pray and the truth is it I didn't sleep for three days. 
I mean, I could not sleep. It was, it was excruciating. And so that third night, about two, three in the morning, I got on my knees on the side of my bed. And I mean, it wasn't like, dear God. I mean, I was like face in the mattress, just limp with exhaustion physically and emotionally. And I could barely speak. And I just said, okay. <laughs> now you know why I want to hit him all the time. And... Um, and I, I did, I just, I, 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 it was a complete dying to yourself. And uh, I was able to sleep that night and the process was very difficult. But again, this is dying to yourself. It shouldn't be pleasant. It's a death. And the, the blessing, believe it or not, that I get from these groups is I die to myself because it's still difficult. It's still very hard, and I still get very scared. I'm not as scared for myself anymore as much as the women in my groups or the, the people in our groups. I get this fear and this insecurity where I'm like, oh, no, what if it doesn't help them? You know, what if they pour their heart? And I do. I get insecure, and that's, that's my sin. But God does it every single time. And so my trust, do you see, and my faith, and my hope gets strengthened. And people need that modeled and they need to see it or they're not going to make Jesus the Lord of their life. I want to just interject something real quick. Um, I'm one of the guys that uh, didn't originally become a Christian through the crossings that's, that's at the crossings and, and serving in leadership. Um, and from afar, I, I knew Robert and Carrie for a long time, but I saw something different in the Crossings Church uh, that I didn't see in other churches. And uh, I used to take trips up here and visit. Um, I would come up and I would uh, witness baptisms while I was here uh, and, and meet the people who were baptized. And then I would come back two years later, uh, and those people who had been baptized on my previous trip were now leading in ministry, and they were out reaching people. And, uh, you know, I'd come back a couple of years later, I'd see those people uh, that I'd maybe seen them in that other trip. Now they're leading, and I'm just like, what is going on there? Because everybody I baptize, it seems like uh, we're just not making progress like they are. And even, even other ministries uh, that I knew of were struggling. And I was like, what is it in the water? And, and since I've moved here, um, you know, I, I, I had an idea of maybe some of what was causing that. Uh, before, but when I moved here, honestly, you guys saw how many people just stood up when we asked how many people went through the Manasseh ministries. I believe the Manasseh ministry uh, plays a huge role in, in just changing the culture of a church community because it gives people a vocabulary and biblical insight to deal with their deepest, darkest troubles in life. And a scripture uh, in Ephesians speaks to this. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Is it shameful to talk about sin? Is it shameful to talk about sexual abuse? Is it shameful to talk about your deepest, darkest secret that you don't want anybody to know? There's some shame in that. 
But look at what it says. It just told us to expose it. Then it says it's shameful. Then it says in, in verse 13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What that verse is saying is God will take your darkness and turn it into light. And when we can learn to talk about and be vulnerable about our deepest, darkest secrets, God will take that crap and turn it into light. And the deeper the darkness, the brighter it shines when God gets a hold of it. And what does Jesus say we shouldn't do with our light? Hide it under a bowl. So one of the things I've learned since moving here and being here for several years is I believe one of the reasons God is working through the crossings is because people aren't hiding their light. They're allowing God to take their darkness and turn it into light, and people are seeing that, and lives are being changed because of it. Not because of us, but because of what God is doing. Because God will take your darkness and turn it into light. And just we're going to close things up. Let me remind you, I firmly believe in the Manasseh Ministries, but the Manasseh Ministries without a small group network to continue that relationship will not work. The Manasseh Ministries work because of the discipleship of those leaders, but then the transition of that small group into those things. And as we talk, if we come across like we've got it all together and this is a smoothly ran sort of straightaway, then we have, it is a roller coaster ride and we don't have it all together. Uh, we are, if, if, but the encouraging thing is God is doing some cool things through those ministries, and we are just some of the most ordinary, messed up people that you could have. So if God can work through us, for some of you, you know, the, I was talking with somebody last night that was at Rolla in, uh, in 77, and I was telling him I did my first college retreat in Rolla in 1980, I think, and, and I was like, you know, 20 years old, and there's about 40 college students there, and every one of them was smarter than me. You know what I mean? I'm going, and that wasn't being humble. That was the truth. I'm going, okay, they're letting the dummy speak for the weekend, you know. And, but, but it was amazing, you know, the way that they were so kind to me. But I think one of the great things that the crossings can be for anybody in it, out there is to go, if God can work through you guys, you're ordinary, you, then he can work through me. And he can, if you'll let him use your hurts.